Greetings, future fossils. Welcome back to episode 154 of the podcast that explores our place in time. And as we discuss in this episode with guest Stephanie Lepp of the Deep Reckonings Project and Reckonings Podcast, it's sometimes a little hard to know where you are in time when your very construct of temporality is determined by your enculturation and the dubious data sets that you have been fed through the built environment of our weird Anthropocene. I'm really excited to continue to pursue this particular thread of discussion with Stephanie about her work that explores not just the antisocial, but actually the pro-social implications of deep fake technology synthetic media she calls it the use of artificial intelligence to counterfeit video and audio recordings i've spoken about this a lot on the show in the past starting with episode 91 my sci-fi short an oral history of the end of reality but something i largely missed in that episode and i'm really glad that we get to explore is what happens when we know we're looking at a deep fake what happens when it's not simply being used to exploit our credulity, but to invite us into a, an imaginative exercise like theater or other forms of fiction to consider a better world than the world in which we currently exist, a world in which, as her Deep Reckonings project explores, powerful men like Mark Zuckerberg, Brett Kavanaugh, and Alex Jones have an about-face and decide to pivot into a position of accountability and moral leadership. As far-fetched as you may think this is, and I would agree, nonetheless, it's a potent tool for exploring our own narratives, our own convictions about ourselves and other people. The possibility of pro-social deepfakes as educational tools or as adjuncts in a therapeutic process, as you actually may remember was the case in Westworld Season 3, invites deep contemplation about our ever more nuanced relationship to truth and the real. As you re may recall from episode 150, uh, when I discussed with Sean Espjorn Hargens his unifying meta-theory of the weird, reality is bifurcating, not just in terms of its ontological claims, but in terms of the taxonomy of the kinds of reality that we are capable of engaging with and considering. So this is, I guess, an, one more in an important string of conversations hosted on this show about how to find our way amidst the upturned naive realism of the modern age and make our way through the turbulence of the 21st century. Thank you for joining me on this exploration. I, I welcome feedback. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Garfield and uh, would love to hear your thoughts on the conversation that follows. But before we dive into that, I just want to thank everybody who has been supporting the show recently. We saw the, the greatest spike in Patreon support 
uh, that I've ever seen for future fossils in this last week, probably in part due to my public announcement on Facebook that I'm going to be stepping back considerably from my engagement there after 16 years of volunteer <laughs> community media curation and discussion moderation because my work with the Santa Fe Institute and the Long Now Foundation has me online so much I'm kind of losing my mind and I really do want to pull back into more of a campfire conversation with listeners Patreon and, and the Future Fossils Discord have been excellent for this as a way of keeping a vital conversation thriving without jeopardizing my sanity. So here's a big shout out to all of the new supporters this week. Naya Rizwan, John Clinton, Jack, Haley, Matt Sonny, Gregor Bingham, David Bard, Roberto Vogel-Lutung, Peter Sforza, and Max Compton, who are voting with their dollars or pounds and helping me keep this show afloat amidst the million other things I'm responsible for. This episode, you'll really hear it. Uh, but Stephanie just had a, a baby, and I've got my toddler, and it felt appropriate, perhaps as a way of validating that this is an actual recording and not just a deep fake conversation, that we let our kids hang out on the call. So you're getting reality of a certain kind in all of its messy splendor in this call and it, it, it just felt right to leave it intact without any editing. If you're on the fence and considering becoming a patron I just want to point you to a couple of things that uh, I've been dropping backstage for everyone one is that we have a new Discord book club we're reading and discussing Sand Talk How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World by Tyson Yunkaporta one is that I am releasing a suite of original studio recordings, unreleased, previewing all of this stuff for patrons. I'm also writing a lot, again, thankfully, and will continue to preview new essays from my book, How to Live in the Future, for the uh, Patreon supporters before I do anything with them publicly. So again, just a deep thank you to everyone not only who has been supporting the show on Patreon, but who has been reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. Burnout is real, folks. But luckily, we're going pretty strong here. I want to encourage you, if you're not already subscribed on your favorite podcast provider, to hit that button because in the weeks to come, we are going to continue this thread with uh, profound conversations with Stuart Davis, host of Aliens and Artists Podcast, Michael Morgenstern, filmmaker behind the project Definitely Real. Ramin Nazer and the Tea Fairy are both going to be back on the show and a whole lot more. So thanks again and uh, buckle up for this lovely conversation with Stephanie Lepp of DeepReckonings.com about pro-social deepfakes, the future of synthetic media, and the beginning of reality as we don't know it. Enjoy. Oh, and one more thing. The music in this episode is from my original podcast co-host Evan Snyder, a.k.a. Skytree, off of his new album, Infraplanetary, which I absolutely love. 
pop over to the show notes and you can find this album on Bandcamp. And uh, you can go back to episodes one through ten in the misty dawn age of future fossils if you want to hear Evan in all of his glorious nerddom. Big shout out to my boy for his superb new release. Uh, enjoy and thanks. You're right that the sleep deprivation of early childhood parenting is akin to the techniques used by Tibetan dream yogis. There you go. You know, to they, they, they stand vigil over each other and they wake each other up. They wake up, you know, wake up and they, okay, okay, go back to sleep, wake up. And so yeah, this is a the disruption, yeah. the disruption of your, your uh, circadian rhythm and so that you you end up in this uh, sort of witching hour thing. When I had uh, a caveat magister on Future Fossils recently, we were talking about how Burning Man kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi'd and um, like imploded and then is now everywhere. And yeah. in, in so doing, you know, there's, there's a sense in which the witching hour is now all ours. Yeah. If, if, you know, like given the condition that you are a parent or are subject to, um, you know, you're, you're, you're coupled in some way to the uh, witching hour somewhere on the planet at any given time, right? Well, because, like, the internet. Dream practice. Yeah. So like, you know, it's like your circadian rhythm now could be, you know, tied to something going on, you know, some, however many arc yeah. seconds across the planet yeah. from you. Yeah. The, the whole time zones thing just seems so completely, absolutely 19th century at this point. Like we need, yeah. we need a, we need a, like a continuous model for time and temporality. This is, this is maybe more like 2200 talk. Nice. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're still trying to get the electrical grid together. Damn it, Michael. Like, but like, you know, we we we're not ready to, you know, to to create a uh, a, a uh, Bernoullian fluid dynamical model for time zones, <laughs> but but that's where my head's at with all this. Oh, I guess it's kind of fun to be able to like just like take a step. And yeah. Feel like there's you know believe that there is actually some hello hello. Stephanie hey, <laughs> Lap. Hi, how's it going? Sounds like a cool project. Thank I, you. And just seeing that, I think, would make me feel better. So, in some of those. Pieces. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard from many people. They, they initially didn't want to watch. They were like scared to watch it, and then it had kind of like a healing effect. So, cool. yeah. yeah. So let's let's um. Let's... I'm gonna close the door now that he's actually being quiet. Yeah. I am recording right now. Oh. oh. I'm going to fix all of this in, in the suite. All right. Ah, bon appetit. Mm. I'm eating too, so. This is the third time today that I have referenced Terrence McKenna's Time Wave and the longstanding debate with my friend 
Tristan Gulliford about whether or not 2012 was bullshit. About whether or not what? 2012 was bullshit. 2012. Yeah. That, that like, you know, the idea that in the new age that 2012 marked some sort of consummation or apotheosis, you know, that this is, is where it, it crosses the X axis of novelty. And, but perhaps it did for someone, right? Like, like so many of these ideas of like, are we going to get, are we going to make it or not make it? Or is it going to be utopia or dystopia? It's all of the above. For someone, 2012 was a thing, I'm sure. You know, and heaven and hell already exist. Utopia and dystopia already exist. They're just, you know, unevenly distributed. But if you're in Syria, that is apocalypse, like at biblical proportions. So, yeah, it's it's here. 2012 for someone, I I I I I believe. Precisely, like it's you know, at that point, it just becomes a handle. It's like, well, yes, or a lens. The question is, what's your 2012? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, insofar as insofar as the eschaton is everything happening at once, I'd say we f- have checked that box that we fulfill that criterion. You know, right we watched Jurassic World last night. Jurassic World. Yeah, for the first yeah. time since I saw it in the theaters in 2015. Uh-huh. And I'm, you know, I'm feeling very um, differently about the way that the accelerationist machine has sort of mulched and composted and metaed itself in, you know, in all of this, that a commentary on a commentary. But anyway. I was thinking, I actually, I was thinking, I actually want to rewatch the Truman show. Mm. Yeah. There's and, and also uh, we live in public. I don't know if you know that documentary. Yeah. Yes, that's funny. I, I I kind of actually did something similar once upon a time before I knew about that project. Um, yeah, which I, I can describe or not, but um, yes, we live in public. I yes, that was a thing. So, so your appearance on Future Fossils, which I'm starting to suspect or hope rather is like the first of many is concomitant with this other project michael morgenstern's yeah definitely real right you know which he's he's taking a very different approach to seeding the public imagination with these kinds of questions that that we haven't even truly asked yet in this conversation um but which you asked so richly and so so articulately in your work about deep fakes about uh, i like the term synthetic media (laughs) floating signifiers you know trust accountability i'm going to roll the ball i'm just going to like tow the ball over to you and take it super easy and just allow you to suggest a place where we should start this. Uh, wow. Um, well, I just, I just added truth to your list. We could start there. Okay. So um, I guess the first thing would be to talk a little bit about this project. 
which I will absolutely encourage everyone, obviously, go watch this stuff, uh, deepreckonings.com. But yeah, talk about what drew you into this corner of the noosphere. Yeah, so it really actually started with Reckonings, which is a podcast I've produced for a couple of years that, and that really started just with, um, you know, throughout my early adulthood, I would say, and just having experiences with activism and social change, the question would always come up for me, you know, am I changing anyone's mind? You know, am I actually moving anyone on climate change or mandatory minimums or whatever issue I happen to be focused on at the time, which then, of course, begs the question, how do people change their hearts and minds? And I started trying to learn about that, but I didn't even know what search term to use. It was like, what am I Googling for? Worldview transformation? Is that even a thing? Like, I know behavioral economics is a thing, but I'm not looking to find out what makes people floss their teeth more often. I'm looking to find out, you know, what moves people in fundamental ways. And so it finally occurred to me, you know, this, this like loose exploration of mine might be really fun and powerful to manifest in the form of stories as a podcast, like actually talking to people who have made these kinds of transformative change. So that is the genesis of Reckonings, which in every episode tells the story of some, you know, a, a, a deeply conservative congressman who made a, what he would call a spiritual conversion on climate change or a white supremacist who, you know, managed to transcend a life of hate. Um, it's, 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 you know, just an exploration of the question, how do people change? And I would say more specifically, how do people change in ways that scale into broader social and political change? And from the early days of the show, I had this kind of like wish list of guests that I would love to have, like people who, you know, when we think about broad-based social change, we think of like the civil rights movement, like, like change that has involved hundreds of thousands or even millions of people. But there is also the question of like, who are the fewest number of people? Who are like the fewest number of people that if they had a reckoning, if they had some kind of tr transformation, it would actually, it would, it would, it would create broad-based social change. You know, Charles Koch, if he were to have a reckoning, that would actually change the climate trajectory of our planet. You know, so, so to me, it's like, who are the fewest people or who are the people? Um, and I actually, I, I, I had been thinking of Charles Koch and kind of imagining making a, a I didn't know what, I didn't even know what I was imagining. It was like trying to make a, fi a film about his transformation and how that changed, you know, whatever, our, our planet's climate trajectory. And then it was, it was after having that idea that I learned about deep fakes. And I was like, oh, you can actually do that. You can actually make you can actually make that film, and so it, it didn't actually come from the technology. It really came from just yeah, m more of a place of like you know we say fake it till you make it, but I think that almost like discredits what is really going on here, which is like conjuring, conjuring the change that we want to see. So you know, after finding out about deepfakes, I did an audio prototype on reckonings i did a i did an imaginary reckoning with the pope 
you know, I wrote a script and had a voice actor perform it. I'd never done fiction on the show, so I had no idea what listeners were going to say. And to my surprise, um, people really appreciated it. And then, and I even, I heard from survivors of clergy sex abuse who actually found it really helpful to, even though they knew it was fake, to hear the, you know, the imaginary Pope say the kinds of things that they would love to hear the real Pope say. So I was like, okay, this thing, this thing has legs. And then it was, you know, getting the pieces together, the funding and the partner and the this and the that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it actually did not really come from the technology itself. It, 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 it more comes from, you know, just, yeah, just, just this, like this capacity we have to co-create our, our reality really. Uh, and so, you know, what, what is it that we want to co-create? Yeah. So oh, and I don't to say what it is, but. <laughs> so, yeah, so talk a little bit about that then. What it is, what it yeah. is. Yeah. So, it, so it is Brett Kavanaugh, Mark Zuckerberg, Alex Jones having an imaginary reckoning. It's, it's if, you know, if, if they were the most morally courageous versions of themselves, what would they say? And what would that look like with the intention of making something that if they were to see it, you know, would make them say, well, now that, that is hot. <laughs> that is the me that I want to be. Like my job is to make it look more sexy, more beautiful, more powerful to practice you know, critical self-reflection than to do the other thing that we're so used to, the deny and deflect thing. So, yeah. It's interesting in that, you know, when uh, on your statement on the website, when you're talking about this stuff, you explore the different possible pro-social uses of synthetic media in in ways that uh, I wasn't considering when when I was thinking about this stuff when I you know like I, I have perhaps lingered for too long on the short story I wrote in 2017 about like the psychological consequences of the loss of what Regina Rini calls an epistemic backstop you know the ability to trust what you behold mm-hmm. or what you hear but there's this other piece of it, which is, you know, like, this is why I just, I love you and I love what you're doing that, that as soon as you draw this technology out of the arena of deception, like counterfeiting and forensics and into the space of it's a known fabrication, you know, like it's convincingly real to all of the parts of the brain for which it matters, but then mm-hmm. the top layer is like, but you know it's fake. Totally. This is fake. Yeah. yeah. You know, like simply saying this is fake. And so that brings it back into the realm that storytelling and theater and all of these other things have always been for us. And, yeah. and at, at that point, it expands the potential of technology that people are mostly looking at in terms of how ominous and politically uh, catastrophic it could be yeah. into something that's like, all right, well, let's look at how this could be used as a tool for healing. Yeah. And one of the, one of the best examples that I saw in, in there was, you know, talking about uh, addiction Yeah. and 
seeing the version of yourself, the whole complete healed version of yourself that's like welcoming you, inviting you into a future that you want. Yeah. And how you could consent to a therapeutic process in which this is very Westworld season three, by the way, <laughs> where, you know, you are talking to somebody that you know isn't real, but is still helping you through your process because it's clicking, it's keying into all of you know the animal brain kind of components of you so that you know if it if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and mm -hmm. so i mean in a way it's like what is it it's like a a bracketing of the ontology and just saying like okay like what happens if we just approach this purely pragmatically totally. say, i love i love the the idea that Maybe Mark Zuckerberg is going to see this video. He's going to see himself saying this and he's going to change his mind about something because there's a, you know, a form of therapy I've talked about on the show before about the mirror, where mm -hmm. if, if you, if you have some sort of uh, somatic trauma on one side of your body yeah. and you, I actually know friends that my friend had this where she, she sliced a tendon in her arm. And they used a mirror to make her see her sliced arm as though it were her unsliced arm. Right, right. You know, and yeah. so she, her brain repatterned itself to believe yeah. that she was whole and complete and symmetrical. Yeah. yeah. And so there's something about the mirror neurons and like hacking ourselves through deep fakes, like, oh my God, I guess this brings me right up to the the plank of a question. Uh, that I'll, I'll let you jump from, which is, have you thought about deep faking yourself and, and, and toward what goal ultimately, like, how are you yeah. going to bootstrap yourself with this, this kind of pro-social synthetic media wizardry? Yeah. And your word, by the way, pragmatic, I mean, that's perfect. That's exactly, I mean, I, I, I use the word strategic, but the point is like, who do we want to be? You know, and it's not, and it's so, so my, the question isn't like, isn't what is the truth with which the, I mean, that's part of it, but, the, but there's not an assumption that truth is only an end in itself. It's truth is also a means to an end. What is the end? Who do we want to be? How do we want to be? And how can truth or sometimes non-truth, I call it purposeful fiction. I don't remember what you just called it. You just called it something else, but yeah, it's, it's how do we craft the stories, whether they are true or not, and when they are not true, th that we are aware of that, that we can know that, but the stories that help us get to where we want to go. So what I would do with myself, and that's my, that's my son for everyone. Um, he, he, he agrees. Um, I, I've, I have a vision of, and I don't know exactly how this would work, but uh, of a mirror, actually, it would be a mirror that, um, because it sees your face and has seen your face, like can serve you up you in the past, can serve you up you in the future. But it's, 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 it's like, I mean, and this is starting to get into, yeah, how can AI be used in pro-social ways? But like, basically it, it, it serves you up like who you need to see and what you need to hear in order to keep you tethered to the you that you want to be. 
it's it, yeah, it would be, it, I call it the deep mirror. I don't know if I, I don't know if it's possible. I mean, but then again, you know, I didn't know if the Charles Koch thing was possible. So I believe it will be possible um, uh, or maybe already is, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a mirror that basically serves you yourself in the past, yourself in the future and or your grandma, um, Elon Musk, like whoever it is that you love and admire and need to hear from in order to keep you tethered to your highest self, however you've defined that to be. That's, that's what I would do for myself and for people. There's a, the guru yoga, right? Like the form where you imagine your guru and you, in your visualization, lock eyes with your guru and receive the transmission until you understand that, you know, this was, yeah, like, I, I, I'm always thinking of uh, Spaceballs, where he's like, the Schwartz was in you the whole time, you know, like, that it's, it's this, uh, it's a known hack, it's an as if, uh, but it still works, like the placebo effect works, even if you know, it's the exactly. placebo effect. Yes, exactly. And it's it's actually known as the most underutilized tool in all of medicine. So yeah, that to me is like, we we are at the place where we can start consciously evolving, consciously evolving our own consciousness. So yeah, let's, let's like, let's do that. And let's take responsibility for that. The thing is, we're already doing it is the other thing. It's like, we are already creating the stories that create us. So might we get more deliberate about it or creative about it or playful about it or imaginative about it? Uh, Cause yeah, we're, we're already, we're already doing it. Um, but yeah, there is, there is like, there is a pivot here from just like telling the stories as if they are true to like writing the stories, whether they are true or not based on where we want to go. <laughs> so yes, pragmatic or strategic. So I'm curious, get a little sober here for a minute, if I, if it's even possible. Yeah. <laughs> In the, like, what is sobriety is, is very much a question when you're in the, what is reality land that this yeah. type of phenomenon uh, plunges us into? So how do you imagine, like, I mean, realistically, how do you expect this is going to unfold over the next few years? I mean, clearly you are hoping, I mean, it's like my, my, the whiff that I catch from what you have here is that you seem to be hoping to shift the discourse from purely one about a fear that we don't know what is real anymore to a, an opportunity to craft stories that we like to believe and that we're willing to meet, you know, that we're willing to like strive for. But like, I mean, we already know that, for example, that a hoax takes like six times longer to debunk than it does just to spread like that Harvard study from 2014, you know, that, that, that fake news travels so much faster than, than, and like, even in your own brain, the critical thinking and all of the executive functions are much like slower, high latency capacities. So, I mean, it seems as though there's got to be some kind of ecosystemic view of this in which 
we're going to be seeing just absolutely devastating manipulation of the public in addition to an you know a a consensual and explicit handling of this kind of technology at the same time and i'm i'm curious to see how you imagine that going forward Pat, there's so much i want to say in response to that let's see if i can so um one thing is one thing is just all of the above i mean it's all going to happen it's all going to happen it's all already happening so there's that the like wild chaotic misinformation QAnon, pizzagate we're there um so I, sometimes i struggle with like making a put like saying like we're going to go in one direction or another cuz cuz i i understand there's going to be a, a little bit like but i do also think that, that there will be a center of gravity and i as an optimistic you know, person who has admittedly spent a lot of time talking to people who've made all kinds of transformative change and therefore like have some faith in humanity stored up here in my bank account. Um, I do, I do believe in our capacity, therefore, to evolve our relationship with truth. I mean, I think that's, 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 that's where I see us going. It's like, this is the next enlightenment basically. And the next enlightenment is, you know, once upon a time, it was, you know, uh, it was just like, we told whatever stories we wanted and pre-rational and, you know, and then, and then, you know, the enlightenment and rationality and science and yay, and only going to believe what's truth and truth is the end all be on capital T truth. And uh, now, I mean, this is, a, this is what we've just been talking about. We're, I think we're ready to relax our relationship with truth and not see truth as again, only an end in itself, but also a means to the end of what, of what do we want of being able to ask that question and have truth be in or non-truth be in service of the answer. So I, you know, where I see this, yeah, things are going to get dark. They're already dark. Um, but like, but th this, this problem has been biting us in the ass for a while now. There is a reason why we haven't been able to achieve public consensus on climate change and vaccines and you know covid it's because in these circumstances there isn't necessarily a capital t truth like if only you know our public health officials were to come out and say you know what vaccines aren't 100% safe but their public health benefits far outweigh their public health risks if we were but like you know it's like we're too scared to get into the gray or something or like we don't trust ourselves to be able to like handle non-capital T truth. Well, I don't, I don't think we can afford to do that any longer. So the, the like opportunity, the Christatunity is to actually evolve our relationship with truth, which I do believe we are capable of. And, and I should say like the epistemological backstop, it's not that everything is just going to be like, maybe, maybe not. Like there are some things, I don't know what they are, you know, whatever gravity, what, whatever. There are some things that like, that are that 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 actually are capital T truth, but not all things. And so I don't know if you ended up getting into post normal science, um, but I can like get nerdy for a second and kind of like explain that a little bit. Okay, so <laughs> so post normal science is um, is a framework for basically for building public consensus around scientific issues. So when uncertainty and or stakes are low, like I don't know, like I just said gravity or like how much hair is on an insect. I don't know, like something about which there is like little uncertainty and low stakes. Applied science is all good. Like scientists can just like do their peer reviewed thing in their ivory tower 
and we and we will trust the results. As stakes and or uncertainty get higher, that's when you end up in what's called professional consultancy, which just means you have to include non-scientist experts like engineers or doctors in order for the public to trust you know, the results. But once uncertainty and or stakes get high, that is when you're in post-normal territory and you actually need to involve the public in producing the science, whether that means like coming up with hypotheses or you know, collecting the data, whatever it is, in order for them to trust the results. And right now, stakes are high on like everything. It's it's like it's like this wild like even if uncertainty is low, which it's not for COVID or climate change or you know the or vaccines, like even if uncertainty is low, as long as the stakes are high, the public need to be meaningfully engaged. Which I mean is 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 like a is like a is something that scientists and journalists and you know truth makers like need to be doing in general. It's like a humbling of their practice, and and so. Um, yeah, right. It, I don't. I don't think that like, it, like not everything is going to be in post-normal territory forever. Like there will be some things for which applied science is fine. We can trust the experts, and you know. But like a lot of things are in post-normal territory right now, and so like we just need to democratize our process of knowing what we know about the world, and that is that is like an important and valuable, I think, like evolutionary process for us to go through. So, yeah, I I I I, I see I see the darkness, and I know you know. Hi, <laughs> hello. This is Ada. What's your name? Hi. Say, this is Ada. Say hi, Stephanie. Hi, Ada. Hi. Oh wow! See, that gives me hope. I think yeah. Ada and Axel and Anique upstairs. Like, there is a lot. There is, and I, I hate to say it like this, but there is a lost generation right now. I am so grateful that my kids are not teenagers right now. Um, I'm sorry to the teenagers out there. We also just watched the Social Dilemma last night. Um, but oh, yeah. I, think, I think like Ada. And Axel and Anique, like I think we'll have worked some good things out. And to them, I think it'll be intuitive. It'll be it'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna let I'm gonna like make a story that I know is not true, but it's gonna help me get wherever I need to go. And yeah, so yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because you know, I, I'm I'm coming into this conversation hot on the heels of months of conversations with various SFI researchers and and adjacent thinkers on the issues of cognitive bias in social learning and social decision making, hmm. and how like for example like you, you, your post normal thing this is actually great I, I wish that I had had more time to dig into that particular piece of it and maybe we can uh, tab that for another conversation too, but you know like for example. One of the, I mean, everyone who listens to this show on a regular basis knows that the philosophy of science is like my complete. Oh, really? Home cool. ground, like my terrain, you nice. know, like, yeah. And, and that I tend to, depending on the day, I feel like I tend to, to be like, oh, it's all epistemological. And, and then I'm like, no, it's all ontological. And then I'm like, <laughs> These are, this is bullshit language. You know, none of this, like, this is all just 
monkey insufficiency to describe the the you know what is the truly real uh, and i think that's the fair you know that's the fair ground but at any rate in speaking with complex system scientists uh i feel like i have been bolstered in my understanding of how each of us is running these unconscious calculations all the time about whether it's more important to believe what is true or to agree or like like whether it's more important to agree with people or whether it is more important to seek you know an objective reality even if it it were to alienate you from your social support network but doesn't it depend on the goal like this is this is the thing with like um i don't know so many things like um okay gender so does it exist you know so or race and but the but the beauty here is that we don't actually have to choose we can decide race exists or treat race as if it exists for purposes of affirmative action and then decide it doesn't exist if we want to just like like feel into our shared humanity right like we can decide gender exist or well uh you know <laughs> sure it's similarly we can decide gender exists for purposes of like gender equity um you know and then and then and then we can just like totally release our grasp on it for purposes of allowing people to just like express their gender in however way they want to like that's the beauty of like we don't have to choose ontological or epistemological or it's just, it, for you know it's just like under which circumstances does which way of believing serve us you know and and we will find that some ways are more right than others or are more applicable to more circumstances than others. But like, but thank God we've given birth to so many of them because now we can use different ones when we need to. I mean, that's a very like integral, it's a very integral way to think about it. Um, but that, yeah, but that is, that is where I come from. <laughs> and, and that is uh, a very wholesome and alluring vision of possibility as far as like what we're capable of socially but i mean you and i are living in a complete shit show right now yes uh so i mean how do you how do you see us actually getting there well so that that that's also i mean this again it's like i've spent my time talking to people who this is what happens once you make one pendulum swing you're once you go from 180 to, you know, or zero, whatever, to 180 degrees in the opposite direction, and if you've done that more than once, then you're like, whoa, there's actually 360 degrees in this circle, or or maybe this circle is a sphere, or maybe, you know, and because and, once you, then, then you can start to be, to use your word again, pragmatic, and so to me, like, how do we get there? I mean, I, 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 you know, when it comes to reckonings, it's not like I'm like pro people changing in some direction that I want them to. What I'm pro is pro critical self-reflection as what allows you to go from the 180 degrees to like, oh, wait, there's a circle. Oh, wait, there's a sphere. Oh, wait, wow. I can, I can, I can consciously like direct my own consciousness um, <laughs> in order to serve me and, and, and serve others. So 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, what, what gets us? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fan of critical self-reflection as, as like, as a, as a critical ingredient. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Do you think anybody? I mean, I, I say I know that you, when you broke your story, and we, we should probably talk a little bit about about that, like the way that you actually launched this project huh. uh, in, in the, in the media sphere uh-huh. and the response that it got, because I think the response was interesting. And like the number of people who voiced their objections yeah. was kind of in a, a, an item of discussion in its own regard. Mm. Yeah. I expected, I mean, I knew the heat was going to come from, all the directions. It was going to be like, he didn't do anything wrong all the way to, he doesn't deserve to have his apology written for him all the way to like, this technology is inherently evil and should never be used for anything. What I think I was less. So I expected that. Um, and I guess what's a little ironic about that is that I, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be like trying to like ruffle feathers or like do something super provocative. Like what's provocative what's provocative about it is that it actually challenges us to uh it, it like we don't it, it challenges us to well to make room for these people to change because it's 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 not only that like Kavanaugh or Zuckerberg or um or Alex Jones like do their mea culpa you know that would be easier for people i think if they just like came out and just like apologize and mea culpa but they lay down some wisdom in their i think <laughs> they actually say some they, they it's not only like they're having an apology they're they're actually taking some leadership and they're and they actually and they have some courage and what's what's hard about that is not only not only do we th- does that mean we have to be the kinds of people that let them apologize. We have to be the kinds of people that actually let them like be heroes or be leaders or become like allies on these issues that we have, that, 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 you know, they, they have been our enemies on. And so I, I don't think I expected, I guess, I don't think I expected that to be, I think that is like the biggest holdup for people is like, I can, I can like, make enough room. I can definitely make enough room to criticize them. I can definitely make enough room to write all of them. I can like maybe make an, maybe make room for them to apologize, but I, I'm not going to make room for them to like look good or say something wise or become, or like for Kavanaugh to become like any kind of leader on women's issues. So, um, yeah, that's it's that it's like it's it's subversive in that way. But it's like if you believe in collective liberation, then even the tyrant must be freed. You know, then we have to, we we you know we we have to not just let these people change, but actually let them grow to become admirable. So yeah, this is this putting this work out there. I didn't. I mean, I again, yeah, I knew the heat was coming from all directions, but. Yeah, it's like it's 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 almost more a testament to like where we're at culturally that that's kind of like what's the hardest for us is to let these people like exhibit leadership or courage. So we've spent the entirety of this conversation, arguably anyway, on what could be like the future of what could be, you know, what we can grow into. But one of the 
the little, uh, I don't know, Aikido moves of this podcast, generally speaking, is to confound the linearity of future and past. And <laughs> Deepfake does this really well. Uh, you know, that... that is sleep deprivation. Uh, say what? As so sleep deprivation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you get into these, you know, I, I, I to just continue to ring this bell, you know, I get into the experiences that I've had, you know, deep psychedelic experiences in which y- your my memory of the past is plural. Like I'm like literally remembering different histories of my own life oh, wow. and having to like talk that this out, be like, did this happen or did this not? And, you know, um, there's an extraordinary essay that uh, my, my friend, Michelle Shevin, who was on the show in episode 101, sent me a while back that has completely colored my thinking on what we're living through right now. Uh, WJT Mitchell's The Work of Art in the Age of Biocybernetic Reproduction, which is obviously, you know, it's based on Walter Benjamin's The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction. Hmm. But it's it's about um, this this kind of thing of uh, the the mutability the metamorphic nature of what we're we're living through here and the fact that these things all take on lives of their own i guess what i'm what i'm wondering is to the degree that it empowers us to choose our own story moving forward that Im- that implies or or like requires us to modify our understanding of where we have come from also like the to the extent that we insist on reducing this to like a one dimensional linear equation, yeah, that there is you know we're like now is the fulcrum of that, or the past and future are the like membrane limits on the bubble in which uh-huh. the present exists uh-huh. that you know you roll the ball one way and the other the other side moves too right right, you know so. What do you think is going to change about our our understanding of our own history in our uptake of this? I mean, I guess there's one there's one thing I wrote on the site that I I want to reference that um well, it's basically so Ethan Nichter and he's a Buddhist teacher, he talks about the practice of visualization and as as, you know, as 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 this basically as you know is like visualizing you know telling yourself the story you need to hear in order to get yourself where you want to or visualizing the ideal future but but it's always you always end the visualization by coming back to what is actually going on right now you you always come back to so i mean this isn't i i guess i have another answer to your question too but as like an initial answer to your question you definitely do not lose sight of truth i think it's worth it's really worth saying that like the i what 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 is evolving i guess is not like our capacity to make up stories it's our capacity to hold both the made up stories and the truth hold them both and, and like hold them pragmatically strategically right use them pragmatically and strategically so so even if we play with either membrane with the one in the past or the one in the future like we still it's always like still with an eye towards like where they actually are or what actually happened or what we actually think will happen. But 
in terms of what where I think like our understanding of the past is going right now, I I mean I this isn't specific to deepfakes. I think I think we're starting to um we're we're kind of entering like a a big period of of mourning and grief. I think we're starting to just like see our past more clearly in way and, and this is like the, you know, there are concrete examples like the um equal justice initiatives. What What is the name of the museum that Brian Stevenson, it's basically like a museum about the history of slavery and lynching in this country that um, that Brian Stevenson got going in Alabama. It's been around for, I don't know, like two years, but um, it, I think we're in a process of, and that, and you know, all the contention around monuments. And I think we're in a, we're in a process of starting just to see our, past <laughs> clearly and 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 it's and it's hard it's really we don't want to see this about ourselves which is why there's a lot that's coming up but um um i think we're going to need help um seeing it and like holding it but um that yeah i that that's kind of what i see as far as the, what we're seeing about our past these days is uh seeing it clearly and and like and mourning the the pain and suffering that exists in the past. Well, I mean, you know, no conversation about a post-truth era would be complete without <laughs> an abyss stare into the philosophy of, you know, the people that put like Trump and Putin into power in the first place that are just like, well, you know, there is nothing, nothing is real. Yeah. This, you know, kind of nihilism flirtation of, uh, you know, the spectacle of postmodernity, blah, 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 such that you get to choose. And, you know, like I, I started the Future Fossils book club with uh, Blind Sight by Peter Watts, which talks about in, I guess, 70 or so years from now, there being a heaven where people go as they're, they're starting to age out, they're on the verge of death, and their bodies are put into a kind of hibernation and then they live in virtual reality and they're able to control the virtual reality and allow it to be what, what it is they wish it to be. And so the protagonist goes to visit his mother in heaven and is this like irritant in her perfect world when he visits yeah. her, you know, because he's reminding her of that over which she has no control. And then at the end of that book, spoiler alert, the end of the book, the vampires that they have managed to resurrect, uh, science has managed to resurrect from paleogenetics, you know, has found that there actually was a sort of like a subspecies of humankind that had these features in, in, in uh, the, you know, the, you know, Pleistocene and is uh, able to, you know, de-extinct them and use them uh, because they have special uh, neural cap capabilities that allow uh, us to to like wield them as instruments in a in a technological arms race against our own financial algorithms, huh. you know. So that like, we've we've got these like research test subject vampires. Uh, huh. They figure a way to like break out of containment, and then suddenly all of the human beings living in their virtual reality coffins underground in quote unquote heaven are due for a rude awakening, you know, because like the final the final scene of this. It's not you know there's a, there's more books in this series, but like the final scene of that book is of like, whoop, well, I guess everybody who thought they were just going to be like quietly interred forever in their like happy place is, is, uh, you know, going to wake up to 
you know and this i mean to to make it much more mundane um i remember a few years ago hearing unabashed technocrats parag and aisha khanna in an interview talking about using augmented reality to block out the homeless homeless yeah i heard that too yeah. and i was like could that be first of all like could that be more unwholesome like could, yeah. that, could it be any worse yeah. uh, and secondly could you be any stupider because even if you think that's a good idea the reality is is like the more you constrict your your focus yeah. the, the the like the narrower your peripheral vision yeah the more likely you are to just get whacked upside the head by somebody who's like, you know. You don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Exactly, yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, but that, but that is why you got to hold both, right? You got to hold the story you want and the story that is. And the story that is, you know, then that gets back into like, well, is there an objective truth? And and I would say like for, it's, it's my response is kind of the post-normal response. It's like, under it's 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 for some things under some circumstances truth is is more i think truth is like truth is relatively relative i guess is the way that you could say it it's like it's relatively relative some things are more relative than others but um but the homeless being there or not is 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 one that, that that's like a pretty like is it true or not kind of a thing like you can block them out but they will come back and bite you in the ass um so does that answer your question yeah that's the phil dick reality is that which when you stop believing in it does not go away right yeah Yeah. and i mean that's like all we're left with maybe yeah it is and it's um and i think it can um i think it has it um it is powerful by virtue of the fact that it is there is that too, right? Like, like, um, you know, um, this is this is kind of a weird, not particular. I don't know why this analogy or I don't. It's like there's. I'm in a group of people who were were um, were talking about um, like rewriting the constitution. We're talking about is the reconstitution, and of course, like if if that ever goes anywhere you know, in the future, they'll look back and say, you know, I'm, I'm being like, whatever, I'm going to go on a limb here, but let's just say this okay. reconstitution effort, like we actually ended up kind of like evolving the constitution and 200 years from now, people look back at this initial group of people and we're mostly white and we're mostly, you know, well-educated and whatever. And, you know, and so look back and people could say like, oh, well, this isn't like a particularly diverse group of people and do they really represent and blah, blah, blah in order to, you know, write the, rewrite the constitution. But there's also meaning to the fact that we're just the people who happen to show up and do it. Like there is meaning, there is power and meaning in in what happens um, because it is what happens. I don't know how else to say it. It's like, we can write all the stories we want and they have power too. And when things happen, like you got to just bow down to that because it happened. Uh, I guess there's a little bit of like, you know, when, like, when you think about your own life too, of like, people say like, you wouldn't be here now unless you did that then. And I've never found consolation in that because that would be true if I was sitting in jail, but 
there is also just the like that is true like there there i gotta just i got it again i gotta just like bow down to the thing that happened because it's the thing that like found its like managed to tunnel its way through the gelatinous substance of space-time i have to bow down to that you know it managed to happen that's cool not everything manages to happen you know so you know this this reminds me a lot of the conflicting narratives i get about my own early childhood from my parents you know and I, i i i in your uh, statement earlier, alluding to what our all of our A named children are going to grow up into, kind of reminds me of the talk I gave about a year ago at, about how we're we're in the midst of a kind of uh, Book of Exodus forty years in the desert mosaic wandering. It's so funny. It's like, you know, between the pyramids and the promised land, it was like only a couple miles. How did they spend 40 years? You know, a different generation with a different. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and so, yeah, so many people I've heard talking about this, like we're chewing and chewing the same thing over and over and over. Um, And it's just funny, you know, the Moses and his son, Aaron, Aaron is the one who gets to finally enter the promised land. Right. I don't know. There's uh, so there's two questions out of this, or or two topics, and you can run with them however you see. One is this question of like the the macrocosm as a reflection of of what each of us are actually going through in terms of how this is just making even more explicit the reality, the the nature of history itself, like the nature of well, we you know like winners write history, right? Uh-huh. Or it's like whoever whoever you rely on as an authority, you know, what you're standing on. You know, so when my when my my mother tells me something about something that went on in my early childhood and then years later my dad says something else completely different. Uh-huh. And you're just like, Oh my god, like this was a this was a tent pole yeah, of my right. identity. Yeah. You know, like and now it's just like you know, just sneezed out of the ground and, and yeah. So, okay, well, that's cool in a way because that frees up all sorts of, you know, creative terrain for, you know, inter- reinterpreting myself in the 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 middle there, you know, in the the interregnum between potential realities. But then the other is is this this thing about just an invitation to talk a little bit more about how you imagine the world construction of the next generation actually going, you know, as you and I are standing here on the hill overlooking the promised land and like yet still not capable of actually walking down into it, at least today, you know, at least in this form, maybe I can deep fake myself into convincing myself that I can do this after all. But yeah, like there's, you know, when this lava cools, what is it going to look like? Uh, is it going to be in the form of a swan or a bear or, you know, just uh, like a cow patty? I mean, I, this is just a completely bonkers invitation. But Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I again, I, I kind of struggle with the question i can't decide if there i can't decide if there's an answer to that question i guess i can't decide if there's like if there is a you know like we think to ourselves like did we make it 
will we make it? Is there a yes or no answer to that question? I don't actually know. Like, is there a, is there, like, what if some of us do and some of us don't? Will there, does that mean there's an answer? Like who, I just, I can't decide if there's an answer to that question. So, um, well, and I guess I should caveat that because if I were to see whether it was a swan or a bear, or a cow patty, I'd be able to say that's a swan or that's a bear, that's a cow. like it will look like something that and so I maybe this is just where I would say like justice is relevant here. Like it can't, I don't think it can be like a few people go to Mars and that's the answer. That's the made it. That that is like what qualifies as making it. I um I I do I do think that um yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think, yeah, I, I guess I think justice. I, I don't. I think justice is. I think conscious. The evolution of human consciousness actually requires justice, e even just for the simple, like when people do not have enough food to eat and water to drink, they cannot focus on bigger questions. I mean, it's it's like it, it can be as simple as that, or it can be more, like, I like I I don't think. I don't think any of us are truly evolving unless all of us are truly evolving, even if we're at different places. So, um, uh, wait, your original question was, what is it going to be? <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a yeah. trap. <laughs> I, yeah, I get, I guess I, well, yeah, I initially said, I can't decide if there's an answer to that question, but at the same time, I think that, um, Justice is a part, of, I, I think we have some things to work out in terms of how we get along. Um, that is like the determining factor of what it will look like and what we think it looks like or what I would decide it was if I were to see it. Mm. So to crash land this conversation <laughs> as, <laughs> with as many survivors as possible, yeah. um, how would you anchor this in some kind of practical advice for people right now? Like <laughs> this is coming out for sure before the United States election of 2020, which has with, which is without question the most ridiculous batshit carnival of pandemonious mayhem that the United States election has ever been. And it just got even more. I mean, it's like, is this divine intervention? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, it's like it couldn't have been written. I mean, the script is unbelievable. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to give some like reality navigation advice to somebody caught up in this riptide, you know, normally I'm, I'm asking guests to like speak, speak to or on behalf of the digital archaeologists in 100 years. Hi guys, that's great. But right now, I'm. I I think what I'd like to do is is be like, all right. So, what, what is your pronouncement for the folks that are actually listening to this episode? Um. Yeah, that's a crash landing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. I. Huh. Um. I guess. Uh, I mean, I kind of want to just go with the, 
Like, what would it look like? Um, just, I, I guess, yeah, I'm wanting to go with the actual intention of the project we started talking about, Deep Reckonings. Like, what would it look like to make room for your your so-called enemies to become your allies. I mean, that just is so, that's such a blasphemous, uh, but um, what, yeah, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to rather heal than win? Or what would it look like for you? Because there's always the question of like, what's next, then what? Uh, I mean, if we like beat the other side, it's like, well, then what? I mean, then, so I don't, I mean, it's gonna look different for different people. And maybe here, here's a practical, I'll try to make it practical. So um, do an experiment in your life today, whenever you're listening to this, um, of, and it can be with anyone. It can be with your partner. It can be with someone you don't interact with who's in the news, um, who you have a reaction to, but um, do, do, one, do one experiment where you treat them or think of them or engage with them as if they have the capacity to, yeah, be your ally or impress you or be a, be a source of admiration for you or advise you or teach you something. I mean, the, the question that I asked with these scripts is what would the, what would like, and this is going to sound super patronizing. If they heard this, they would not be interested in this. If Mark Zuckerberg or Brett Kavanaugh or Alex Jones, but what would the, what does the healed version of them have to teach us? So do an experiment today with someone where you treat them or think of them or interact with them as if they have something to teach you and, and learn whatever that thing is. Yeah. So, okay. Final, <laughs> final thing here. Um, I, you likely have seen one, if not both of the following media objects. One is the meme of breaking live Fox news bearded Donald Trump saying LSD saved my life. I was a boorish loon until I had the psychedelic experience. I was like a couple years old. And then there's also Stella SG, uh, a visionary artist who did this awesome painting of Donald Trump going on an ayahuasca yeah. ceremony, yeah. you know, the divine moments of Trump painting. It, I feel like, like and Putin is in one of them or think, yeah, he was there like smoking five MEO yeah. with Putin or something. Yeah, so yeah. like there's this, I feel like I'm, I'm actually kind of pleased to see uh, when I saw the democratic national convention, I was, I was really relieved. It did my heart good to see all of these people who, I mean, even again, even if it was just a performance to see them all make the, the token effort to step up and say, okay, our acrimony is over and we all support this guy. And the fact that, yeah, like Kamala Harris sure did like screw a lot of people over and Joe Biden 
kind of you know like spearheaded the rave act you know but like we're gonna we're willing to put that behind us because everybody gets a chance to be redeemed and this is what we're looking for and so far i'm not seeing that kind of thing with donald trump i mean it's it's like uh people are really just like over it uh like i'm gonna move to canada or portugal or new zealand yeah or they're uh like they they really are just like in the church of you know this guy has got it or they have this like cynical attitude about it like i don't like him but we need to burn the whole thing down right so to take your own invitation and maybe we don't even answer this in this episode but like it, i don't know how long it takes to make one of these but like maybe if you if you're into it we could make a trump one before the election yeah because um, that feels desperately necessary and i'd love to hear you sketch that out here that's the most common that's the most common request i get the reason i didn't do him and actually and i just i also want to specify i'm not all like peace love you know compassion it's like this is another case in which we don't actually have to choose between consequences and compassion right it's like people should endure the consequences appropriate to their actions and we should create opportunities for them to change and grow for their sake and all of ours. You know, just because someone is sitting in jail doesn't mean they can't participate in a restorative justice process. They can, you know, like they can serve their jail time and work to repair the harm they cause. So anyway, just so, you know, I'm not just yeah. like forgive only, it's, it's all, it's, it's all of it. Um, but to your, so the Trump, yeah, the reason I didn't do him is because um, I, this is not only, um, this isn't only like, this isn't only entertainment. This isn't only like to watch something cool. Like I have an agenda here and I actually want to do people for whom there's a prayer. There is an actual prayer that they might reckon. They might actually like do this or be moved by this or, or like, like move in this direction. And so, and to me, Trump, yeah, I'm in the camp of like, he's a lost cause. And so it's not, although maybe if he watched it while on a LSD, there's there's a possibility or in um, the hospital for coronavirus that, oh yeah that's when i hadn't thought of because that actually does affect your mind yeah um so that's when i hadn't thought of so so maybe there is yeah so and what would it what would it so the question was what would be like the crux of the script i mean i i i yeah i i have um i think it's ironic that I'm going to say this. <laughs> I think you have to start with what's true is what I was going to say. Like, I think you actually have to start with what's going on with him and with him. I mean, you know, I'm, this isn't like, uh, radically like vision. It's like, I think he does have narcissistic personality disorder. I think he, you know, I think there's some like pretty basic, simple things. Like he needs so much reassurance. Like he's constantly talking about how everything he does is amazing and everyone he meets and Kim Jong-un is terrific. And we've been doing an amazing job and we're the best. Like, so I, I think you just start with like, what's actually going on with him, what's actually true. And, and you, and you, and you work with that. And it's probably something around like him, him seeing that about himself and the destruction that that has wrought and like might there be ways that he can like satisfy his need you know for reassurance or love that 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 are actually like in service <laughs> to our country i mean I, I, I mean that's just like what's coming to me right now but i think generally speaking 
then again, like this might be kind of ironic since we're talking about a deep, but like, yeah, you, you start with what's true. It, it's, it's like a, it's like a Venn diagram between what's going on and what you want to be going on. It's interesting that, you know, in, in that, uh, which is very wise, thank you. In that is the acknowledgement that one must be broken in order to be whole. And that I think is an answer to a, a question we were volleying around earlier in this about what happens if you just sort of use the potentials of this technology to hack yourself into some sort of positive feedback, narcissistic or solipsistic runaway thing. But it's like, that's what he's already done. Yeah. With the whole like magical thinking, positive psychology. He has an entire net like news network that's like supporting him in that. So he sees the reality he's creating for himself on TV. Right, right. So really what you're talking about is a democratization of and it's funny you you start with the truth. It's like, well, T R U M P, you know, like (laughs) you know, start with start with what is true. Yeah. Anyway. I'm glad you brought the democratization in because that's that's that is it. That to me is like that's the justice in the evolution of human con- like that's what it I kind of feel like it kind of ultimately comes down to is who actually has the power to use this stuff and to do and to decide where this stuff goes. So yeah, post normal science wise, it needs to be democratized. Yeah. All right, Stephanie. Michael, this is so fun. Yeah, You're totally. Very fun to talk to. I'm sure all your guests say that, but Likewise, likewise. I uh, I would love to have you back on for, you know, with other people. Like, I would love to see you in the mix. That would be fun. And uh, I would love to, I have to think about this, but that's the point, right? I would love to offer you my own reckonings at some point. Oh, oh, yeah. Know, put myself in the hot seat. Maybe I can uh, commune with my deep fake before I do that. See what, <laughs> see what advice he has for me. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we close this? Um, this was really fun. Um, I also think it's cool that our kids all have names that start with the letter A. And um, I am going to ask you a question that um, I don't, I now no longer remember where I got this from, but in one of our early or emails, I'd asked you about the Koa guitar story. Oh, yeah that I don't even know where, where I heard, but um, I, I know I was curious about that for a reason. I had like some thought about that. Is that something you feel like you can share? The story, or, the cool guitar story? Yeah. Well, just that, just that when I bought a guitar that now belongs to my friend, William Allen Ross in Austin, Texas, Sophie, this uh, Taylor GS mini uh, with a Koa top. And there was another Koa top GS mini Taylor in the same store and I asked the salesman why these two guitars sounded so different you know like they it's the same wood uh-huh. it's the same build they're they're made in a factory by machines i mean like i mean you know people are involved but like they're you know Taylor has really managed to make the consistency and regularity of their instruments a selling point uh-huh. so why are these two instruments so different and he was like well koa is one of these woods that it, it it depends on the growth conditions of the tree, where the faster it grows, the the wood is going to be different than if the wood grows slowly. 
And so when a tree falls in the forest, suddenly a patch of light appears on the forest floor and all of the seedlings compete for that light and it's a race. And so they're all growing as fast as they can. And so the wood is turbulent. Like the wood itself is actually curly. Like they call it curly koa. Yeah, curly, like yeah, there's it's many different kinds of woods are can be curly. But this particular guitar just got a nice slice of curly wood that means that the fibers, the grains of the wood are all of different lengths, you know, so it's it's harmonically more rich than it would be if it were just a, you know, one foot in front of the other, we're going to do this, you know, like, I I hate to say this, but it's sort of like, um, philosophically, I think of like straight koa as like, the life conditions of the baby boomers. Oh, yeah. You know, versus like curly koa being like the people that are growing up now, where it's like, they don't know which way is up. Totally. Totally. So, you know, just in general, like, I remember the night that Trump got elected, I I posted this to Facebook. Um, I was like, well, the next four years are going to be great for art, music, writing and comedy. Yeah. You know, because shit is upside down. Totally. And why amazing art comes out of Israel for the same reason. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. that there is that that uh, that trauma makes art happen, mm-hmm. you know, that that. Uh, And this gets back to the whole, you know, Richard Doyle argument about the evolution of language being an effort to explain the sort of like pseudo traumatic psychedelic experience, you know, an effort to an effort to communicate the ineffable, you know, Mm -hmm. what he called Arrowhead.org is hundreds and hundreds of pages of hypergraphical claims to ineffability, you know, that it's like we are just we are still, you know, just like throwing ourselves up against this thing, seeing how far we can skate up the the cliff before we fall. Yeah. And uh, pack a parachute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you got the more turbulent guitar. I did. Although recently there's another story. Like I said, I sold that guitar. This year with COVID, I bought another guitar that Taylor makes that they made specially starting this year called the 324 CE Builders Edition, which is... Uh, mahogany top but the back and sides are made with what they call urban ash and mm-hmm. urban ash was wood that they sourced through a an arrangement with the urban forestry services in and around san diego so this wow. is wood that was growing along the streets and the highways it's not endangered brazilian tone wood now it's not being uh sourced from a rainforest that's being plowed for you know like a beef plantation this is wood that's growing in, in and around the cities Right. And there's a whole new philosophy. I'm still like chewing on how I want to run a written essay about this. But mm-hmm. the idea that this is a, a, a sea change, this guitar that I now have, Maeve, is a representative of a, a completely new philosophy of what it means to build an instrument huh. and how we how we regard resources yeah. and how we think about resources. I'm going to yeah. put a pen in this for listeners because I, I know that I'm going to get a chance to talk to Nick Brysowitz of Long Now Foundation about his critiques of resource thinking broadly you know like he wants a world in which resource thinking isn't really a thing anymore Uh and there's good reasons for that i agree but you know just the idea of moving from oh well this is good because it's scarce or because it's exotic yeah to you know finding 
in the like the weird studies podcast guys are like everything is weird you know you're weird this mug is weird you know it's just a, it's a way of seeing and, and so yeah. finding the value you know it turns out that the ash growing in san diego is a spectacular tone wood it's yeah. so articulate yeah. yeah you know it's it's this guitar is so precise and sonorous in a way that no guitar i've ever played uh sounds this way yeah so it's like it's meaningful because it's what grew it's it's what is yeah. actually growing it's what's actually up right now to make guitars with and therefore you know like there is a little bit of kind of i don't know poetic just it's just like we grow the thing we need you know the like the term the the like the fact that Trump is going to make for four years of great art is part of what's going to help us navigate through Trump. So, you know, it's like the, the wood that grew is the wood that we need to use. And there's something kind of, yeah, like working itself out about it. That is, yeah, that I agree is, uh, or like, I, I guess I like support the little that I understand about the changing kind of understanding of, of, of what good wood is. Yeah. Well, this conversation was good. Yes, this Thank conversation you. was good. <laughs> because it happened. It was real. I swear it happened. I swear this is not, I swear we didn't just like run this in a computer. I mean, even if we saw the recording of it, would that be evidence? Not necessarily. So No, Oscar Sharp wanted me to host a conversation with GPT-3 this fall. And I was just like, I don't know, it, like maybe I still will. <laughs> But uh, you already did. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe by the time you hear this, you know. <laughs> okay. All right, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You too. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Future Fossils is an independent, ad-free, entirely listener-supported program. If you believe in the work that I'm doing and you want to help see it thrive into the unimaginable future, then you can avail yourself of all of the backstage goodies at patreon.com slash Michael Garfield, or you can just leave a review at Apple Podcasts. That's more helpful than you know. Reach out to me personally at Michael Garfield on Twitter or Instagram and have a wonderful eon.